Week two, Jesus personified. I'm excited about it. I love to talk about Jesus. Anybody with me? Yeah, and we're going to use this scripture we used last Sunday, and we'll, we'll probably dig into it a little bit next Sunday, uh, a little bit more. But this passage in Hebrews chapter 4, starting with verse 14, I'm, I'm using the Amplified Bible for this because I just like, Amplified Bible is like a commentary Bible, so I like the way it says. It says, inasmuch then as we believers have a great high priest who has already ascended and passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession of faith and cling tenaciously to our absolute trust in him as Savior. I like that, don't you? If you're a Jesus follower, that verse right there and the way that they've, they've rendered it is just right on. I'd, I'd write it down. It goes on to say this in verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize and understand our weaknesses and temptations, but one who has been tempted, knowing exactly, I like the word exactly, exactly how it feels to be human in every respect as we are yet without as we are yet without committing any sin. Therefore, so what do we do in light of that? Therefore, let us with privilege approach the throne of grace, that is, the throne of God's gracious favor with confidence without fear, so that we may receive mercy for our failures and find his amazing grace to help in time of need an appropriate blessing coming just at the right moment. What's a good word in that? That, you, that? that we have a Savior who took on skin and came to this planet and experienced stuff, stuff that you experience. In fact, if you're going through it, know this, he went through it. And when you feel like nobody understands me and nobody knows what it feels like and nobody's ever been where I'm at and nobody can relate to this and, and maybe there's not anybody in your life that can, Maybe the 10 people around you can't. Maybe the 250 people around you can't relate. Just know this, he can relate to where you're at. That when you take it to him in prayer, Jesus knows where you're at. That God loved you so much that he sent his son as the, as the, the ransomed price for your sins, but also that when you go to prayer, the high priest that you have knows where you've been, knows where you're at. And that's important for us to understand. And to grasp. That's how much God loves you. That heaven's best, he who was rich became poor for our sakes. He came to the muck and mire of this earth to experience what you experienced. So now you have someone that can relate to where you're at. And, you know, I would love today to be preaching on the loving Jesus. We like the loving Jesus, don't you? I'm telling you, the worldly church loves the loving Jesus. Give us more of the loving Jesus, because he is loving. The caring Jesus, that would be a good one to preach on. The compassionate Jesus, that's next Sunday. Um, the, the uh, how about this, the, the resurrected Jesus, right? The, 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 the Jesus that, that left the tomb empty, that Jesus will preach, and that's Easter, right? We'll preach that Easter. The crucified Jesus, we'll, 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 we'll dig into that on Good Friday at 7. Make sure you make plans to be here, right? We, or, or, or the Da Vinci with arms spread out around his disciples, Last Supper Jesus. We like that Jesus. The, the knocking on your heart's door, 1904 Jesus. We like that one, don't we? I mean, we, 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 we like 
Jesus. The one that doesn't get preached, and sometimes we don't want to hear as much about, is the one I'm going to talk about today, and that's the angry Jesus. Uh Uh-oh. The angry Jesus. The angry Jesus. Because sometimes in Scripture, we see this, this positioning of Jesus where he's angry. And for some of us, that's a struggle because we only equate anger with sin. We get a little misguided in our perception of what anger is. Anger can go to that extreme. In fact, in Galatians chapter 5, I think it's verse 21, talks about how that one of the works of the flesh is outbursts of anger. Certainly, anger can go to a fleshly, carnal, evil place. But God didn't wire you with the ability for your temperature to rise and for anger to occur for no purpose. It's there for a reason. And there is a good, healthy, I would even say godly, righteous indignation, holy anger that can occur in our life that that all of us should dig into at times. When we can't look the other way and we can't ignore what's going on and something drives us to action and we fall to our knees and cry out to a God who can do something about it. That kind of anger. And so Jesus in Mark chapter 3, we'll pick it up in Mark's gospel. If you're reading through the gospels, you were probably there last week. It says this, and he entered the synagogue again. Let's all stop there for a moment. He entered the synagogue again. Do you realize that the record of Jesus' attendance, church attendance, is present for us for a reason? He could have just said he entered the synagogue. He didn't have to say again. But Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, places again right there in the passage. Right? It wasn't the first time he was going to do this. It wasn't something new. It wasn't something that... He just did out of the blue. Jesus entered the synagogue again. Is on record. I thought about how, you know, last year, we're, we're celebrating, I guess, we're celebrating, I don't know what you call it, remembering, acknowledging, is that a better word? Nobody's liked the last year. Is anybody with me? Come on. Nobody said, oh, this is the best year, 2020. No, nobody's been like that. It doesn't matter where people stand on, on issues or what they think about it. Nobody's like, oh, yes, that was great. We would have rather not had the experiences of last year. If we could have had something different, we would have traded it, right? Yeah. right? If we could get the doctor and, 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 and grab the DeLorean, we'd go back in time right, and, and correct that and not have it the way it was, if that was possible. It's not something that we said we loved. I, I thought about how, so a year ago, on this Sunday, give it a day or two, was our last service before we had the, the, the time where we didn't meet. I was out of Sunday church more last year than most likely the accumulated my entire life. More, more, more times I missed the gathering of God's people. More times, and then, right? Because you know how it is. If you, don't, if you don't miss church, then you kind of know how many times you've missed. It's like if somebody said, hey, pastor, how many cigarettes you smoked in your lifetime? I just never have. So zero for me. It was easy answer for me. Zero. I don't have to, like, was it three packs or was it 109 packs? It's just like I just never did do it. So church attendance like that, how many times you miss? Well, I can kind of tell you it's not been very many. That's not a boastful thing. It's just my life. <laughs> There's some services I wish I wasn't in. <laughs> Is that okay? Right? So, so I'm not, this isn't a condemnation kind of thing. It's just the way it was. Jesus entered again. Jesus showed up to be with God's people. 
And it's so important that we never lose sight of the importance of that. Speak to our online audience for just a moment and just say, I'm so glad that you join us online. And I'm so thankful that you're able to, to connect this way. And if you've got issues, health issues, if you, I know I've had people tell me, uh, one person who's had an organ transplant tell me, I miss so much being in church on Sunday. And my heart goes out to you because they want to be here. But there's a whole other group of people, online audience. I, I call it SLS disease, SLS. It's, it's, it's spiritual laziness syndrome. Because if you can be every other place in the world and you go to Florida five times and you can do all this stuff and you can't be here on Sunday because you're afraid you catch the COVID, I'm not buying your excuse. You need to be here on Sunday. You need to assemble with the people of God. And you know this is Pastor Tony, and I love you. <laughs> and I'm trying to help you. Don't let your couch cause you to still, or let, let it steal your victory. Join us on Sundays. Everybody here wants you back. Anybody want, anybody want people back that can come? Let me hear you. They want you. They want to see your smile. Mark chapter 3, you're reading in verse 1, and we stopped and took a detour that wasn't in the notes, so let's go back. And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then, it said, then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the word says that the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Now, there's a few things about this passage that are important. It's a marvelous story when we read about Jesus entering into a person's life and healing and transformation happening. That always excites me when I read those stories. And then I try to see, just maybe it's my mind, but I try to find out, well, what all is going on here? Like, this is so, like, and what am I supposed to learn from this man's story? What is it that God is speaking to me? Well, first of all, when I read this, Mark is, is giving us, many scholars believe that he is, he's been uh, the interpreter for Peter, and he's writing down Peter's preaching, and when we get Mark's gospel, that's how we're getting it. Right, it's it, it, it could could uh, the Holy Spirit wanted it this way, but it could have been that this is the 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 story of, of Peter and his his good news story about Jesus because because we're getting this word brought to us in Mark here, and and I say that about Peter because I think Peter relates to this aspect of Jesus more than the more than you know the the refined Doctor Luke would or more than Matthew who had dealt with, uh, uh, at a business level with people, um, or John, Peter uh, will relate to this. And, and again, Mark's given us, a lot of times, Peter's 
He'll relate to this because the other gospel writers don't tell us about Jesus being angry at this moment. They kind of, but Peter, he's a guy that pulls a sword out and cuts somebody's ear off when they're trying to come to Jesus, right? Peter's the one who, once he finds out that he's got something that, that flesh and blood didn't reveal to him, but the, but the Father in heaven, he's then ready to rebuke Jesus. Peter is quick to jump, right? And so Peter relates to this, and he's not gonna, he's gonna remember, yeah. And when Jesus looked around at those jokers, he got pretty mad. He was ticked. Peter remembers that. So here it comes out in Mark's gospel, this detail that we don't get by the other gospel writers that Jesus is upset. Now, Mark also, by this time, he figures out that until verse 6, we don't hear who, the, who they and them even are. He presumes that we already understand that there's a group of people who are trying to trip up Jesus and try to, try to mess with him all the time and that we know it's the Pharisees and it's a, it's a group that, that is out to, after Jesus that wants to destroy him. He already presumes that. So not until verse 6 does he identify who they and them are. And by the way, there's still groups that are continually trying to trip up Jesus in, the, in, in this form. We are his body on this planet. We are the represent, representation of Jesus to the world, trying to trip up and catch us on some weird detail that seems important to them. And the thing I notice about this is that when Jesus says, stretch, and he stretches out his hand, if you're the man, you're pretty happy, right? We don't know how, what caused this. We know that when the term withered meant that at some point it had went from being a healthy hand to a withered hand. That Just that word and the verbiage there itself helps us to know that, that maybe an accident or maybe, maybe a disease. We, we don't know the illness or whatever caused this, but it, it, it seems as though he had normal movement with his, with his hand, and now he doesn't. It's atrophied. Some Bibles say atrophied or paralyzed. And so he has this hand that's not working, and Jesus has just stepped into his life, and it's the same as the other. We don't know what, what income he's lost because of this. We don't know what the, the opinion, public opinion that's been cast on him that's been negative. Certainly in that culture, someone could have thought, so what sin has he committed that caused this? And so he could have lived life with almost a condemnation from people, and now he's stepped up and he's healed. And I'll tell you, if you're the man, you're like, yes! Right? In fact, if you're in the crowd, here's what we would do here at Elevation. Here's what we do. We'd be so happy for that guy. We'd be like, yes! We'd be shouting. We'd be like, yes! We'd be jumping and we'd be leaping and maybe even dancing because we're so excited for this man that had this situation in his life. And now he is an overcomer in this issue and his life is going to be different and Jesus has done this wonderful work. But that's not the Pharisees. Verse 6, he said, they went out of there and they were hot and they were seeking out. In fact, they were finding their enemies to get together to destroy Jesus. In fact, I think that's what Jesus is conveying in his question to them when he says, because it's a simple answer what he asks them, right? Is it good? Should, should we do good or evil on the Sabbath? Good, right? No-brainer, good. That's not a hard question. Second question, should we save life or kill? Well, they knew the answer to that. They knew that if you had an ox, and it was in the ditch, 
right, this beast of burden, an animal that you would, you would save it on the Sabbath, how much in, more important would a human life be? How much more important would a man who's been devastated by this injury be to see him come life restored in this part of his body? So what's going on in their mind? I try to get into their mind. It's not a good place to get because they are the, the ultimate picture of legalism when it has become so constricting that there's no life at all. Right? He's, he's, he speaks to them, and then they are silent. Now, if you don't know this, any preacher is going to get mad when you don't respond. Playing a little bit. Maybe not. Right? That's not what Jesus is mad about. He said, here's, here's the anger. The anger is over the hardness of their heart. That, that this man had a withered hand, but they had withered, atrophied hearts, paralyzed hearts where they couldn't be moved. In fact, the legalism that they were bound to was the idea. Let's, let's do it in modern terms. That if the speed limit is 55, I can't drive 55. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, the speed limit is 55, but inside of you, you want to go faster than 55. Like, it's 55, but I want to drive 80. But you stop at 55, and in your heart, you disagree, and you're miserable because you want to do 80, but you'll hang there just because that's what it says. By the way, I'm not telling you to speed. Make sure you don't read something. Somebody said, Pastor, I'm glad you preached that. I'm going to be speeding. No. But in your heart, your heart's far from. Now, there, was a, there, there, was a, there were people in Israel who loved the law of God, and they delighted in the law of God because what they realized was that God of the universe had given them instructions for life, and they loved it. It wasn't a burden. It wasn't drudgery. But for the Pharisees, you see this time and time again, they are mad and hot and angry because there's a, there is this law, these rules that they can't go past. And so what they do is they live miserable lives and they look at others that would go 55 and a half and begin to criticize and want to destroy because they have just moved past just a little bit. Are you with me? And here they are, and Jesus says to the man, stretch your hand. Right? His response is to their silence, okay, that's the way you want to roll. Stretch out your hand, right? His response is, I'm going to go ahead and heal this, this guy. I really believe what he was doing to them was he was saying, stretch. Stretch beyond the confines and limits of your legalism and see that there is life here and there can be a change and transformation. But instead, they stayed captive and bound to the place that they were at. Every once in a while, we need somebody to look at us and say, stretch. Look at your neighbor. I haven't done this in a while. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, Stretch. Look at the other neighbor on the other side that you didn't care as much about and tell them, stretch. <laughs> Wasn't the only time here that Jesus was angry. Wasn't the only time. We know there's other times, and we'll, we'll dig into those a little bit today. I love what A.W. Tozer said. He said, the only times some people expose their real self is when they get mad. Now, it shouldn't be that way. Are you with me? 
shouldn't be the way it is. But uh, the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks. And so sometimes it's only in those places that we get to a place to allow the real us to come out. And uh, it's funny how in our life, things in life, you ever notice this? I'm, I'm older now than I when I was younger. A profound statement there. And the things that made me angry when I, were young, when I was younger don't seem to bother me now. Anybody with me? The same things. Other things bother me now. Right? When you're, when you're, when you're a, like a teenager and your parents say, hey, you can't do it. I remember one time I wanted to do this thing. Everybody in our whole class was doing it. It was a, it was a function. It sounded like a lot of fun. My parents just said no. No reason. No. Oh, I hated that. I was so angry because I couldn't go, and everybody else got to go. And, and in my mind, I'd rationalize every, in fact, I gave them every, every reason why that it would make good sense for me to get to go. And they still said no, and I was angry. Looking back, there's a whole lot of things I didn't get to do, and some things I got to do I probably shouldn't have got to do, but I'm thankful that I made it through. Anybody with me? Yeah, and you get older, other things. Check this out, anger in our world. 40% of police fatalities occur in a domestic, or related to a domestic violence call. You know why? They're showing up in the midst of anger. And anger can go to that ugly place real quick where the people in your life that you care so much about and love so much that it causes you to bring harm to them. Anger can go to a, to a very bad place. And the Bible says a lot about anger. Ephesians 20, uh, verse 4 26 says, be angry. Paul says it like this, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, on your anger. And then verse 27 goes on to say this, nor give any place to the devil. Right? That anger can, in my life can cause me to go to a place where I allow the enemy of my soul to take a foothold. Now, Jesus never did that because Jesus never sinned. No guile found in his mouth. In fact, in John 8, 8 uh, verse, chapter 8, verse 29, says this, that he did everything that pleased the Father, that he said everything that the Father had him to say, that Jesus never did anything that was unpleasing um, to the Father, that he always did what pleased the Father. And so Jesus handled anger in such a way that it wasn't sinful. And so how I many know oh, we could learn something from the way Jesus handled anger? I think Paul, when he, when he gives us this instruction about, you know, be angry but don't sin, don't let the sun set on your anger, give no place to the devil. I believe he's pulling from Psalms 4, 4 where, where the writer there said, be angry and do not sin. When you're on your beds, search your heart and be still. Say love. The word, the word there is this, that don't, don't tackle the next thing or don't try to work through something without getting this anger issue right. I thought about titling this anger issues, but, but, but I think angry Jesus speaks to us. We are in the season of March Madness. Did you know that? I think they're talking about March Madness as a crazy kind of thing, but I think that there's a madness in our world today where everybody seems to be, and maybe it's just the season we've been in where everybody's kind of on edge. 
People are a little more angry. People are ready to push a little harder. I was somewhere, I had a couple with me the other day, was meeting with them, and had been into a, a restaurant that I hadn't been in a while, and I recognized uh, the lady there, and she's always kind of got a grump a little bit in her voice, you know, and her attitude, and, and I kind of laugh at her, it's kind of fun, and, and we have a good time together, she's a little bit of banter, and, and she had, a, there's a shield in front of her, and then she had uh, the protective mask that plastic, and then she had a regular mask on, and so when she was talking to you, she already had the grump, normally without all that, but with that, caused her to have to, like, push her words a little louder, because people couldn't understand, so she's like, can I help you? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> she's not meaning to, it's just coming out that way, but she looked at me, and she knows, somehow she knows I'm a pastor, and she said, she said, hey, is your church open yet? I said, yes. She said, are you Methodist? And I knew the answer right then. I should say no. If I am or not, I should say no. I said, not today. That's why I said, not today. <laughs> and, uh, and then she went on to say, our pastor hasn't opened up. We got enough people that he could spread us out. And this is the way her tone is. And she said, he's a moron. And I like step back because I think lightning bolts are going to come because I don't know the guy. I mean, I agree with the way he's philosophy, the way he's doing things, but I just know, well, I'm not going to touch God's anointed like that, right? Because everybody in the restaurant could hear, you know, and, and, and then I also know her heart is not. Anyways. Anyways. She's mad. And you got to deal, you got to deal with those issues. And the psalm here in 4 and 4, it's sometimes called the, the, um, the night prayer or an evening prayer of trusting God. There's sometimes in life when I can't figure it out and I don't know how to work it and I'm, I've, there's anger that's there. And what I need to do is go to God. He understands. Jesus came, lived a life here, experienced anger, did it without sin. You can go to him. He understands the anger that you're dealing with right now. He understands it. David did it many times in Psalms when you read about how David comes before God, just pours out, almost venting about what's going on in his life to God. You can go to him. And you can go to him and also go to his word. And I want to spend some time this morning um, just, just with this kind of subtitle, takeaways from the man, Christ Jesus. Because you realize he's the God man, 100% God, 100% man, walked on this planet what do, we, what do we look at his life and take away? And I think this is going to be something that can help us all uh, this morning. So, so the first thing I want to deal with is this idea that Jesus, when he comes into the synagogue, the first person it seems that he sees is the guy that has the hand. Step forward. Now, there's other people there. In fact, maybe there's many people there. But the one that Jesus sees is the one with the withered hand. The Bible never gives us his name, never feels like it's an important, important piece of information for us to have his name. We don't know what his occupation was. We don't know what degrees he had or what letters could follow his name. We don't get any of that. What we get, the one detail is that he has this issue, this atrophied, paralyzed hand, and Jesus has stepped forward, and so this man does. And here he is in the presence of everyone. Um, I think it's important to understand that Jesus found the person with the need, the person that 
if we look at it, what an injustice that he has this issue and there's no hope for him. I don't know what it did to his income. I don't know what it did to his family. I said earlier, I don't know what, how people viewed him with this. But Jesus sees him as pushed aside, as cast aside, as hurting, as wounded, as marginalized. And, and I think that's where anger should move us. Because with Jesus, anger moved him to take action for the marginalized. Anger should move us to take action for the marginalized, for those that are pushed aside, for those that, for those that find them in a place of hurting and woundedness. Anger, because Jesus, even in his anger with, with these Pharisees and those that are trying to accuse him, he responds with healing for this man, this man that is hurting. In fact, Jesus just throws it all out there, and, and, and whether, whatever they do or not do when they leave the room, the Pharisees, he's going he's gonna to minister Right? He's not going to let his anger push him to a place to run off mad. His anger is going to translate into taking action for the marginalized. That's why God allows you to have your temperature to go up to a new level and be angry. There's people in this world that have been pushed aside and cast aside, and they need someone that will step up and take action, that will get, that will get angry enough to say, I'm not just going to turn my head, I'm not just going to ignore this, but I'm going to do something about it. Are you with me? I think about Jesus in, in Matthew, or I'm sorry, in Luke 18, 16, when, when Jesus is, is there and people are coming around him, and it says this, and Jesus called, to, called them to him and said, who's he calling? The children and his disciples. He said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. Now, it doesn't say right there in that context that Jesus got angry, but I kind of hear it in his voice. The people that are close to him, the people that, are, that he's called to do ministry with him, the people that he's mentoring and training and discipling, they don't get it. Right? There's children that are being brought to him, and they step in and say, no, 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 get away. Let the important people, where's the Greeks at? They want to see Jesus. Get them here. Right? But push these people away. They're unimportant. In fact, in that culture, in that day, children were marginalized. Let's push them aside. Jesus said, I'm not having that. No way, Jose. This isn't going to work. Let them come to me. Pretty straight negative for the whole forbid, right? Don't forbid them to come. This is the kingdom. This is the kingdom. Jesus steps in. For those that are pushed aside. You see it two times. He cleansed the temple. There are money changers, scam artists, shortchanging the people, charging them high prices for, to buy the sacrifice that they need, money changers. Jesus, in, in, in one of the instances, he takes some cords, makes them into a makeshift whip. And he, can you imagine? Because nobody paints this picture of Jesus like Jesus with the whip in his hand. Not hanging on your wall. He steps into the temple. Boom! Flipping over the tables. I'm like, I need that Jesus in my life sometimes. Anybody with me? Turn the tables on my life, Jesus. I want a Jesus that will speak straight to me and correct me. Do you realize that, that he is the prophetic voice that you need in your life? And prophetic voice is corrective voice. 
And he comes in flipping the tables. Coins are rolling everywhere. Doves are flying out of cages that have opened up. People are scurrying out of there. And then they begin to question, by what authority are you doing this? Because I'm mad. <laughs> and I'm Jesus. And this anger that I, that, that, that I feel, I'm letting it move me to action for those that are marginalized, for those that you're trying to interfere with their relationship for God. I'm putting a stop to it today. My house is a house of prayer, not, not, a, not a den of iniquity for thieves and robbers. Today I'm bringing a stop to this injustice. That's Jesus. That's the right response with anger. I was, I was in a, rec, a restaurant the other day, and it was breakfast time, and it's real noisy. Everybody's having their meetings and talking, and you thought it was like 2019 or something. Everybody's talking, and it's kind of noisy, and your dishes clanging and all this stuff. And, and I've, got, I've got a book there, and I'm just thinking through and reading some stuff by myself. And uh, all of a sudden, like out of nowhere, this blood-curdling scream. It was a, and it, just like right now, watch this. I just said it. I didn't even do it. I don't know if I can do a blood-curdling scream. Deafening silence just loomed over the whole entire restaurant. Quiet. And some little girl, looked like she's about four years old maybe, three years old. They had these big still doors with glass. And it just pinched the very tip of her finger. Oh, I hurt so bad for her. But you didn't know that when it first happened. You know, we all have this fight or flight mechanism, right? In, in situations like that, we either want to run away or we want to run to it. And like we, like we, we either want to get out of here, get in a fight. And so nobody's like, everybody's like, you hear? Ah. So I stand up and move toward. I forgot about the whole mask thing. And I'm walking, walking over there. Nobody corrected me. And I'm walking over there. To find out, and I'm thinking, like, whoever's doing this, <laughs> I tell my granddaughters, they fall on the floor. I said, okay, floor, you leave her alone right now. They'll be crying. They start laughing like you are, and it kind of changes the whole topic, right? Something in me wanted to do something on her behalf. Are you, are you with me? That, that, that as believers and Jesus followers, that in this life, there are people that are pushed aside, that are hurt, that are wounded, that are marginalized, and there should be something else that steps up and says, you know what, that angers me, and out of this anger, I'm not just going to get mad about it, but I'm going to do something about it. I'm going I'm to be moved to action for those that are hurting and wounded and marginalized. In Luke 4.18, Jesus said, he stands up again, in the synagogue, he stands up, and he begins to read the scroll of Isaiah. And he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That is who we should be. We are the representation of Jesus on this planet. We've got to be activated to do something about the hurting and the wounded, not just complain, not just find some kind of, 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 of um, Christian community. Here's what we do. We complain and we, we fuss about the world around us, but we don't step out to do something about it. Let your anger be moved to do more than just post a Facebook post about the condition of the world and do something about it. 
Anger should also seek resolution today and not sometime somewhere in the distant future. That Right? Anger should seek resolution today. Jesus is about the right now. Jesus is about the right now. Right now in your life, he wants to work. It's not like, well, someday, you know, and, you know, the ducks all get in a row and the ducks, what is it, ducks all together? I can't remember the old saying. Here's what I know. Your ducks are never going to get in the right place in order. They're all just all over the pond, floating around places. You're not going to get it on your own. You can't do it. If you could have done it, you'd done it. You can't get it right. Jesus wants to work in your life today. Today. And when it comes to anger, it needs to be handled today. Today. So, so let, me, let me help you. If your baby has a dirty diaper, it's not going to fix itself. You can't be like, well, I've already changed five diapers a day. I don't want to change another. Maybe it'll just take care of itself. It won't. <laughs> it's going to get worse, not better. It's like a flat tire in your car. You're off on the side of the roadway. Your tire's flat. You know it. And you just think, well, if I wait a little while, maybe it'll get better. It won't fix itself. You're going to be sitting there for a long time. It's not getting better. Anger is not going to get better on its own. You get angry about something, you've got to seek resolution for that anger. Because what anger will do is anger will destroy you if you let it continue. That's why, that's why the writer uh, in Ephesians tells us, that's why in Hebrews 12, 15, said this, that, that there can be a root of bitterness that, that comes in your life, and by that root of bitterness, you'll be defiled, and many will be defiled if you don't, if you don't uh, root that out. That's why uh, I, I love the, the ERV, the easy-to-read version of uh, Ephesians 4.26. says, when you are angry, don't let anger make you sin, and don't stay angry all day. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Easy to read. Right? When you are angry, don't let anger make you sin and don't stay angry all day. Um, Eugene Peterson in the message, he said, go ahead, go ahead and be angry in, in uh, Ephesians 4.26 in the Message Bible. He says, you do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge and don't stay angry. I kind of hear him like telling you, like, and don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. That's what anger, anger will destroy you. I heard this story, read it somewhere time back. Uh, I love stories about eagles. And uh, this story said that there was an eagle who was large eager, eagle swooped down and grabbed this weasel in its talons and began to, you know, it's mounting up as it's, as it's moving up in the air with this weasel. And all of a sudden, as, as people are watching, all of a sudden, the eagle just dropped its wings and just on the ground. Like it had it in its talons. For the weasel, it's not a good day, right? It had it in its talons flying up, you know, it's going to have a feast or whatever. And all of a sudden, just Wings fall, go limp, and down to the ground. When they inspected the eagle carcass, because it was dead, when they inspected, they found out that the, the eagle, they found out that the weasel midair had, had 
um, bitten the eagle so severe that it killed it midair and it come plummeting down to the ground like you would drop a lifeless doll on the ground from a high distance. Now, that's what anger will do to you when you hold on to it tightly, when you continue day after day, week after week to have anger about somebody or something and, and you don't deal with it today, it will destroy you. It will bite you. Anger will come at you and destroy you. And that's why the writer in Hebrews talks about this root of bitterness. That's why Paul in Ephesians tells us, don't let the sun set. That's why in Psalms 4 and 4, talks about this idea on your bed at night, get it right. Talk to the Lord about it. Now, I would say this. It's not about getting, walking around with this kind of angry feeling that you want to get anger, angry with everybody. We shouldn't be quick to anger, right? James 1.19 tells us this, that we need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Sometimes we do all opposite. We're slow to listen, we're quick to speak, and we're quick to anger. As, as Jesus followers, we step back and say, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be quick to listen. I'm going to be slow to speak. You don't have to give your two cents worth real quick. Just kind of hold off. You need that change. You don't have a lot to give away. Right? Just wait. I found this, that if I wait sometimes, I really didn't need to be angry about this at all. Anybody with me? Like, I just jumped out real quick. Hey, ha, ha. Oh, that's what you mean? Okay. Slow to anger. Slow to anger. Psalms 37, 8 said, said this, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not worry, it only leads to evil. Ecclesiastes 7 and 9, Solomon said, do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Proverbs 14, 29, whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. Proverbs 19 and 11 says this, good sense, I like that, don't you? Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. To overlook an offense. I, there was an interview done, uh, I think about last weekend maybe, or sometime, I didn't see the original, but I saw part of the, the follow-up to it. Um, Oprah was interviewing Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, and I uh, heard a lot of stuff about it. And so it just happened to catch a part of it. And so I was watching. And, and uh, anybody see that? Okay. Good. And, um, and so I'm watching, and I'm like, well, that's ugly. That's not good. Because what it was, they were angry about something that happened when they were in the palace. And so they left the palace. And so the way they were going to deal with it, kind of unscriptural or let me say, a lot unscriptural, not that they're looking to be scriptural, I don't know them personally, call up Oprah and go on TV so the whole world hears about your anger with your family people. Right? Because in the Bible, I, don't, I never did read the place where it said, and when you have anger at somebody in your family or somebody in your life, call Oprah and go on worldwide TV so everybody can hear you vomit up the mess of your hurt and problem and pain and your anger so we all get pulled into it. No, that's not the way you handle it. Anger is dealt with with you. First of all, let me help you. Go to God. Go to God when you're angry. He, I said this already. He understands. Secondly, what did Jesus do 
and go to the person. Resolve it today. And maybe your anger, right, because you know how we do. Um, we, we can get offended. And sometimes we're really offended because somebody did us wrong. Other times it's perceived offense. They really didn't do us wrong, but we kind of picked up that bait of the enemy, and now we're trapped with anger and, and offense. And so sometimes we work through that on our own. Okay, I got it. Yep, 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 I got it. I was wrong. Should never pick. They didn't mean that. But the idea is this, resolve it and let it go and move on because there's something more important than that in your life. The enemy would love to distract you with anger over something that's unimportant so you continue to be trapped. And ultimately, his desire for you is to still kill and destroy, that you end up lifeless on the floor like the eagle did. Jesus, Jesus, his response to the anger, he didn't wait. It was right then. Stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. In fact, I believe this. He was interceding for this man. There were those that didn't want him healed, those that didn't want to see him, him change that day. He was interceding on their behalf. I, I believe this, that anger should, should respond with intercession for the perpetrator. And now here's what you're going to say is, what? That I should be interceding on behalf of the person that I'm angry at? Well, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 44, I, I used it last week. I'll just refer to it again. But I say to you, love your enemies. Matthew 5, 44, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That's easier said. It's easier read than it is done. Everybody know what I'm talking about? But Jesus, because he's been there, he gives, us, he gives us the hope that it can be done. Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 34. We're, we're coming into this season. I think this helps us a little bit. He says, there were also, the word says this, there were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had came to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand, one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. So, so get this picture. Jesus is hanging, arms outstretched on the cross. He's numbered, uh, as Isaiah said, among the transgressors. There's thieves on either side of him. He's been beaten horrendously. Maybe horrifically is a better word. So, so, some believe that the, the, that the scourging that would have happened to him would have caused his insides to f almost fall out of his back because of the tears and rows that were created by the, the uh, flagellum that was dragged across his back, dragged across his back. He is now positioned here and below him. I think that, that uh, the writer here, Luke wanted us to know this important detail that at his feet they are dividing his garments. They're mocking. They're laughing. S some believe that this casting lots was a gambling effort to see who's going to get what. Jesus could have been angry at that moment. Could have been angry at the religious leaders and team. You can go ahead and come. The religious leaders. They had these trumped-up charges that got him into this place. 
He could have been angry because of Pilate, and Pilate knowing that there wasn't anything, but then still offering a death sentence for him. He could have been angry at his disciples who seemingly abandoned him during this time. He certainly could have been angry at the, at the um, person that carried out the punishment, the, the penalty that he was suffering. He could have been angry at those that were below him or angry at the two people on either side of him because what's he doing here? But instead, Jesus prays for them. He prays to his father, Father, forgive them. I'm standing in the gap between these that have done this to me and you because, God, I know you're holy. Father, I know you're holy. And that this sin and this, this, this horrid thing that is happening to me, this awful thing that's happened to me, God, I know that, that this isn't something that makes you happy. And so I'm standing in between them saying, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. They have no clue, those at the foot of the cross, these Romans, who I am and why I'm here. They, had to, they, they don't even know the, the, what they've done in this moment. God, Father, forgive them. And how many times have we been in a place where we're angry at somebody and instead of going to God for them, we begin to formulate opinions and ideas and even speak words of death over them, of accusation about them. Or that we even go and we tell, we spread rumors or we spread our, again, like we said in the interview, that we vomit up the, the ugliness of what happened on others before we ever deal with it with them or before we ever take it to him. Jesus offered intercession for those. That's the example. Let your anger move you to intercession. It should. How do you know, it's, how do you know that it's healthy? How do you know it's holy? How do you know that it's righteous indignation, that it's holy anger and not just fleshly? It ought to move you to intercession. That you should get more angry about what's done to others than what's done to you. And in a world, in a place where it's all about us, that's hard, it's a hard pill to swallow. Genesis 14, 13. There's a place in Abraham's life where his nephew Lot has been taken captive. There's a war between five kings and four kings, and the city that Lot lives in falls, and they take him and his family. It says this in verse 13 of chapter 14 of Genesis, that one escaped when I got away, and he went to Abraham. Abraham was clueless about what was going on. He didn't know Lot had been taken. He finds out. He grabs 318 of his armed, trained servants born in the house, and they go and they rescue Lot and, and are victorious. I am the one who escaped. You are the one who escaped. It'd be easy for us to get caught in anger about stuff and about people and about situations. What if, in, what if instead we went to God with intercession? That's what this guy did. Abraham's kind of a picture of, of, of the father. Ab this, this gentleman goes before Abraham and pours out where they're at, what's going on. What if that's what you took to God? What if that's what you took to God? Our world would be different. You see, the world can get mad. They can kick and scream and whine and cry and 
bellyache about how mad they are and they can act out in certain ways, but we're the people of God. We represent Jesus on this planet. We need to respond the way that he does.